If you're just now joining us, I made an announcement right at the beginning of our live stream that we are starting our services regularly on June 21st, and there'll be a ticketing system and process available online. That is very, very exciting. It's going to be limited. It's only going to be a few services at first, but we believe that gathering together, even if it's in smaller numbers, is now safe if we take the proper precautions and that it is definitely worth doing, and I think even more so necessary now more than ever. The church needs to come together. We need to be with our brothers and sisters. We need to pray. We need to worship, and that is... Uh, leads me into today's uh, message. Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy and the president of the Equal Justice Initiative said this, you don't change the world with ideas in your mind, but with the conviction in your heart. You don't change the world with ideas in your mind, but with a conviction in your heart. And today's message is a conviction that I have in my heart. And uh, I am certainly not qualified to stand up here and talk about the racism and the violence and the hatred and the injustice that we all witnessed this week. I I am not qualified. I am um, a white man from middle America and I have experienced a stream of privilege my entire life. And so I would like to ask you all to understand that this is not a message uh, for black people or the black community. It's not for them. And it's certainly not uh, under the guise of being from them. Like, I'm not speaking for them, heaven forbid. I am speaking from my perspective to the white community. That's who I'm speaking to today. That's who my message is for. And God's going to do whatever he's going to do with it. But it's my conviction. And it's called, I can breathe, so can you, Because a black man was murdered this week and he yelled out, I can't breathe while he was being murdered for nine minutes for all of us to watch. He lost his voice. I have mine. And so do you. And I'm choosing to use it today to speak out against hatred and to help the church continually be reformed into the image of Jesus because this is not okay. I'm not qualified to speak to these issues. I don't have the personal experiences that would bring the appropriate amount of gravity to the topic, but I can tell you this. I'm called. I'm not qualified, but I'm called. And I'm in good company when you talk about being called to do something that you're not qualified for. The person who's responsible for bringing the message of the kingdom of God to the modern world in the first century, just after the time of Jesus, was a guy named Paul. He spent the beginning of his career as a Jewish leader. He then became a leader of trying to snuff out and stop the movement of Christianity by murdering early Christians. God got a hold of him. And as a result of Jesus' work in his life, he became called to share the message of Jesus. He was not qualified, he was called. His resume didn't say he could do it. The result of Jesus in his life said he can do it. The only reason that I have anything to say is because of the result of Jesus, not because of my resume, not because of my experiences, but because of what Jesus Christ has done in me 
and anything pure and anything holy and anything helpful that comes out of this message is because of God's work in me. George Floyd. If you take any time and you study this man's life, you learn that he was a disciple of Jesus. That he was from Houston and that he committed years of his life to a place in Houston called the Third Ward, a neighborhood riddled with racism, hate, murder, and injustice. And he committed his time to that. He committed his life to that, to minister to that. He was quoted saying when he showed up to the Third Ward, seeing that there were brothers and sisters in Christ working to make it a better place, if, if y'all are about God's business, that's my business. And his Instagram handle was Big Floyd for God. He's a six foot six man who was on a mission to bring Christ into dark places, places that needed the mission of the kingdom of God to move forward. He was actually in Minneapolis on a discipleship training journey. And he was murdered this week. And there's something about that video and this story that made me lose it. It made me upset in a, in a different way. And I have nothing but respect for people who have been continually upset about this type of stuff that's just been going on and on and on. And of course, I have seen and been around and, and, I've, and I've had moments of outrage in the past. Something about this one got into my bones. And in the past, I've stood up uh, at our church and I have condemned racism and I've condemned hatred and evil after certain events have happened and, and I've done messages on it before but today I have more, I have something and I think that it's probably because there needs to be more. There needs to be something said, something else, something more has to happen, more has to take place. This is not about a racist police officer. That's not what the story is. The man who killed him was a racist police officer. But there are plenty of police who do great things. There are plenty of wonderful people in all different areas of the world, in all cultures, in all different types of jobs who are racist. They're racist. There are police officers who are obviously racist and they will murder black people. They will scare black people and it happens all the time. But there are racist people in banking. There are racist people in the church. There are racist people in schools. There are racist people everywhere. This is a story and I believe the picture of George Floyd's death shows us a picture of a system of racism in this country. Racism is a poison we all drink. Every person, every color, we drink it. We have a brokenness. It's in the water. We all get it into our system because of the system that we all live in. And so it gets into us. And when those with power succumb to that poison, 
the worst of human conditions emerge. When you have power and you've let the seed or the poison of racism blossom in you, grow in you, take root in you, and someone has power like a police officer, this is when you see the worst of it. When someone has power in government and they're racist, this is when the worst of it comes out. James Baldwin, a civil rights activist, said this, it is certain in any case that ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. One of the things I want to talk about is the system of racism, the stream of racism that we live in. I, I believe that we all need, like, a reminder. We all need maybe a history lesson for the first time that in this country there's a system of racism. And systems are very difficult to understand. It's very difficult for me to understand and for me to even explain to you a, a macro movement that moves across regions and across cultures and that at every level there are seeds and ideas of racism and behaviors all throughout. It's very hard to unpack that. It's sophisticated. It's convoluted. I'm not a sociologist, but the reality is, and what our black and brown brothers and sisters are trying to tell us, is that the system is racist. There's a problem. It's bigger than one police officer. It's a nation. It's a system. It's people everywhere. Now, I was first exposed to this when I went to Taylor University, which is a great Christian school, and I had a sociology course, and I had a couple of them. And in that sociology course, I learned about the system of racism. And I was shown several case studies of families that were studied for 50, some 70 years, white families and black families. And they looked at those families, and they looked at what happened at the same times in their lives as their kids grew up. And after 50 years, the amount of privilege that the white family had was 10 times the amount of the black family. The amount of education, the amount of opportunities, the amount of wealth opportunities, the amount of uh, kind of places they could go and things they could do, it was, it was obvious that and what my teacher was trying to show us was, do you understand that in this country, that black people are essentially, if, if, if whites and blacks are running a, a 400 meter dash, then basically it's like the whites are starting with only 100 meters left, and blacks are starting with all 400 meters, and they have a 20 pound vest on, and they don't have a foot. Because the system is not designed to give them the same privileges that it is to white people. So they're behind. And it's very hard to wrap your mind around that. It's very hard to understand that they're not given the opportunities because people see them as less human than the rest. So they're given less opportunity. So we need a history lesson. It's like we, we, we forget this is the way this country started. I've got to tell you, when people are like, oh, we're a Christian nation, and I think about slavery in this country and racism in this country, that's, that is the least Christian thing that could ever happen. And to say that a nation is a Christian nation and it has the history of racism and slavery in it, that is a joke. 
Oh, is Christ in it? Does Christ reside and live in all brokenness? Absolutely. Does the movement of Christian love have its way in us even though we're broken? Yes. Have the ideas of loving your brother made its way into our country and into our lives to a certain degree? Yes. Relatively, compared to all the rest of human history, are things maybe better than they have been? Probably. But you should have a really, really slowed down temperament and response to this idea. We're, a, we're founded on Christian principles. You can't be founded on Christian principles and have a whole boat full of black people that are there to serve you and they're deemed less valuable than other humans. That's not Christian. That's not Jesus. I had a professor at Taylor University. He was the best professor I ever had. He was a, a genius he was a Hebrew scholar. He had 20 open brain surgeries. His name was Ron Collymore. He was a six foot seven black man with a high pitched voice. And you know what he said? He said, Jesus was black. Jesus was black. And he goes, now tell me that he wasn't. He said, <laughs> he said Israel's a lot closer to Africa than America. And he knows that Jesus was Middle Eastern. But what he was saying is, this is a man of color. You can't say you're Christian and not love people of color. But you love Jesus? This needs to be said. We need a history lesson. Beginning in the 16th century, millions of African People were kidnapped, enslaved, and shipped across the Atlantic to the Americas under horrific conditions. Nearly two million people died at sea during the agonizing journey. Over two centuries, the enslavement of black people in the United States created wealth, opportunity, and prosperity for millions of Americans. As American slavery evolved, an elaborate an enduring mythology about the inferiority of black people was created to legitimate, perpetuate, and defend slavery. This mythology survived slavery's formal abolition following the Civil War. It's in the system. You know how you can tell that slavery, the ideals of slavery and racism are in the system? Use basic logic. Systems have inputs. You have inputs in a system, they create what? Outcomes. Look at what is happening around this country today. That's the outcome. That's what happens. When people feel they are mistreated, when people are uh, being mistreated indirectly, and then when they are mistreated and murdered in front of the world to see, what do you expect? They're balking at the system. They don't want us to come up and say, oh, we're sorry, and hug them. They want us to treat them like they are, humans made in the image of God. To get it all right, 
We know this is a racist system because the outcome continues to get worse. There's a, a lie as it relates to progress. I find it ironic that SpaceX was blasting off to the flipping atmosphere. Oh, we've progressed so much. We row towards the golden shores of prosperity and growth and knowledge, yet we can't rid the systemic problem of evil in the world. There's no proof that anything has gotten better, certainly not some shuttle that went to do whatever it went to do. Frankly, I don't care. I don't care about it. We have a system of racism. Brian Stevenson said this, you ultimately judge the civility of a society not by how it treats the rich, the powerful, the protected, and the highly esteemed, but how it treats the poor, the disfavored, and the disadvantaged. The system doesn't do it. The video of George Floyd's death is proof. That's proof that the system is broken. Here's the good news. Nelson Mandela said this, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught love, for love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. I'm here today because we must continue to use our breath to paint a picture and create a godly society for those who are having their breath violently stolen through murder. He got his breath taken away. We have ours. What are we going to use it for? This is what I'm doing today. I'm using this platform to communicate to the white community that we need to wake the up. We need to do better, way better. These are human beings that are beautifully created in the image of God, and the fact that I even have to say that makes me angry. The riots. Martin Luther King Jr. said, rioting is the language of the unheard. By the way, most of the riots are peaceful. You know there's tons of information out right now that's saying that certain groups are moving into the rioting to cause an uproar so that they make it look like they're not peaceful. No black leadership wants the riots to be violent. No one that is in black leadership in any particular fashion wants there to be a display of violence. They believe more than anyone else that darkness doesn't drive darkness out. Only light can do that. They're trying to peacefully protest. But even if they are rioting, even if they are, the reason needs to be understood. It's our job to understand why. Why? Why are they rioting? 
Martin Luther King Jr. said, to solve a problem, you need to find the cause. What's the cause of the problem? Now all the white community is going, why are they rioting? We need to stop the rioting. We need to stop all this. We need to do all this. And he said this, many want law and order, but not justice. Many want law and order. Many want everyone to be peaceful and kind and not make a, a, a scene and not go down. Many want that, <laughs> but not justice. It is the presence of justice that maintains law and order. And there's no justice. So what are they supposed to do? I have such a problem if you have a problem with the protests. I have a problem if you have a problem with even if there's some rioting. I do. I have a problem with it. Because you're not listening. You're not understanding why. And all you have to do for about three seconds is have some empathy. Just practice some good old-fashioned empathy. You know what empathy is? To feel what they're feeling, to put yourself in their shoes. What if your kid's neck was stepped on for nine minutes and died for the world to see? How outraged would you you be? You're a Christian, would you turn the other cheek? Maybe you would. There's great displays of tremendous violence throughout this country and in the past 10 years where horrific things happened and people responded in a Christ-like fashion. There's examples. But what if it was not just your kid? What if it was the neighbor's kid as well? What if it was four kids in your neighborhood? What if it was four kids in your city? What if it was five kids in your city? What if it was a bunch of people that live in your town? What if it was a bunch of people that live in your country and have lived there for 200 years? How mad would you get? We got locked down because of a pandemic. After eight weeks, a lot of white people went downtown upset that we were locked up, locked down. We want our freedom back. We want all that. We got upset for that for for eight weeks of not being able to go out because it was unsafe because of this, this pandemic, this virus. We're talking about 400 years of slavery. We're talking about injustice that continues to go. And we have a problem with people going down and saying, this has to stop. If you, if, you, if you want to make a difference, you have to start to understand what they're saying at the riot, what they're saying at the protest. You have to listen to their voice. Listen to their voice. Hear what they're saying. Because what they're saying has been said since the beginning of time, and that's the scripture I'm going to show you right now. It's a voice of murder and violence crying out from the ground. The the Bible shows us that God cares to bring justice, that God cares. The Bible teaches us that we are all his beautiful human brothers and sisters and children. All coming from one first couple, Adam and Eve. Everybody with the same father and the same mother. 
That's what the Bible teaches. And the scriptures teach us in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 that after God created the world and he created those people, he said those people were very good. Sin, darkness, evil, hatred crept into their hearts in Genesis chapter 3. And then in Genesis chapter 4, you see Adam and Eve's children. And since Adam and Eve's children, the same crying that's happening right now has been happening. So this is going to come on the screen. You can read this. It says this. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of his fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought offering fat portions from the same of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what you have done, what have you done? Listen, your, bro your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Two things about this passage, and I'm going to wrap up. The first thing is this. Cain killed his little brother. Cain killed his little brother. You see in the story? The first one born is Cain. Then Abel killed his little brother. Now, the black community is not intrinsically the younger brother, but the system has made them so. The system has not given them the strength and given them the help that they need. So, Ultimately, those of us that have been given the powers and the resources, and we are the ones that are the responsible parties. We're supposed to take care of our little brother. We're supposed to take care of the weak. We're supposed to take care of the poor. We're responsible to. So when the question is asked, am I my brother's keeper, you know what the answer is? Yes. Yes, we are responsible. And this is not some type of white salvation movement. We're going to come in and save the day. No, 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 no. We can't save anything. We're responsible to care for those that have paid so horrifically because of the system of injustice in this country. We're responsible to care for them. We're responsible to 
Lift them up. Jesus, he, he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew this was the problem. On earth, in the scriptures, it's written, and he, and he said, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friend, for their brother. You're supposed to not only lift up your brother, you're supposed to lay down for them. Not lay them down and destroy them. That's what we're called to. His closest disciple, John, said, if you say, this is for the white church, listen. If you say you love God and you don't love your brother, you don't love God. You don't. Jesus Human, divine, all in one was here so he could show us what real human love looked like. It's not an idea. It was, I'm a human so you can watch me do what humans do when they act the way humans are supposed to act. The birth of Jesus. It's talked about in an amazing passage in Isaiah chapter 9. But the scriptures say that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And it says this about Jesus. It says that the government will be on his shoulders. You know what this means? It means that the government, the system, the people, the hearts of men are wrong. They're messed up. They're broken. They're wicked. And the promise of the birth of the Savior is that when he comes into his kingdom fully, all the government, all the rule, all the systems are going to be led by him. Scriptures say that when Jesus returns and he's our king in his glory, that every nation will be in his kingdom. Scriptures say in Isaiah that God loves justice. A lot of us think of justice as condemning or punishment. The word justice in the Old Testament has nothing to do with punishment. It's not what it's about. It's about making what's wrong right. Making what's wrong right. And God loves to make what's wrong right. He wants to make what's wrong right. And when you follow Jesus Christ... The greatest work is that the message of the gospel gets into your heart and cures you from the poison of racism and hatred and helps you see the world 
the way God sees it. And the mission of the church is that Jesus gave us the powers and the responsibility to be his agents of justice until he comes back and takes all of the government and puts it on his shoulders and says, I'll fix it all now. But Christian means little Christ. So what that means is we're supposed to be little Jesuses of justice, making things right. You're supposed to make it right. You got to make it right. The very last book of the Old Testament says, this is what God has shown you. You know this passage if you grew up in the church. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you. Oh man, oh mortal, what is good? It's on the screen. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. To act justly. To act in such a way that you take what's wrong and you make it right. To bring justice Every one of us needs to adjust big time. We need our hearts to adjust. We need to go to God in utter humility and ask him for any forgiveness of any seed of racism, any words of racism, any thoughts of racism, any movements or joking of racism, we need to ask God to wipe it out of our hearts. We need to go to him and say, God, make it right. We need to adjust our attitude. We need an attitude adjustment. We need to be sober-minded and wake up. We cannot be okay. Don't be confused. There's nothing to be confused about anymore. There's no confusion. The world, because of sin, is dark and nasty, and people treat their brothers with hatred and evil. And God hates it, and so should you, and that's it. It's clear, it's pure. The white church needs to hear there's no fuzziness. You have plenty of anecdotes. Oh, I have black friends that are nice and we're fine and they don't feel this way. And oh, I, what about these people? And forget it. There's no anecdote that, that can dis, kind of dismantle this idea of a systemic problem. You don't get to. It's pure. There's a problem. We need our hearts and our attitudes changed. And we need our perspective adjusted. And the way that that works is you learn. Learn. And the way that you learn is you listen. I didn't want to post a thing about this message on social media. I don't want to minimize what's going on with a tweet. I don't want to act like I understand. I don't want to act like I can speak for them or that I can. I just want to, to say that my heart is broken. And I can use it to affect the white community. And if I can do that, 
then we can make some change. Our perspective needs to change. We need to listen. You don't know what they think. You don't know how they feel. You need to learn it and listen and shut up. And if you're going to speak, speak against it wrong. Speak against the wrong clearly. Say what you mean. Call it what it is. And then pray. Pray. And make a move. Make a move. Adjust. A heart adjustment. An attitude adjustment. A perspective adjustment. And then a personal adjustment. Make a move. Take a step. Speak differently to people. Do something. Do, do, do something. Protest. Call someone in your family. I have the privilege of my sister being married to a black man. Listen. Call someone. Say, will you teach me what it's like? Humble yourself. Make a move. Let's pray. God, I just, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, God, that we don't love the way we should. I'm so sorry, God, that we let it happen. I'm so sorry, God. Help us to change. I pray for the Floyd family. I pray for all of our black and brown brothers and sisters who have had enough, God. Help us to do whatever we can, whatever you call us to. Help us to love and listen and be humble and act justly. We love you. We need you. The cities need you. The downtown areas need you. Government officials, they need you. God, use people with a pure heart, with the love of God in positions of authority to make real change. God, the, the hope that this can happen, that, that, that there's a system, and, and knowing that that system can be adjusted just by what we do in our homes, God, if this hatred is learned, God, please move into our homes every City and state across this nation move into our homes. Help parents to teach their kids, display for their kids the truth. Father, we give you whatever we can. We ask for your forgiveness and we need your help. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for being a part of our service today.